Well, I recently heard a story about a young kid. He was about 17 years old or so, and he really wanted to get a car, but he couldn't afford his own car. So he thought, you know what? Maybe I'll talk to mom and dad about helping me out with this, see if they'll like give me a little bit of money. But he was really, really scared to ask his parents for something like that. So he finally works up enough courage, and he goes and he says, you know, dad, I'd sort of like to talk to you at some point about maybe you and mom help me out with a car. And Dad's like, oh, yeah, we, we can talk about that at some point. And he's like, uh, but here, I want you to read this book. And so he hands the kid a, a book, and it wasn't a big book. It wasn't a long book. It wasn't like one of the classics that, like, a kid would find really, really boring. It was just an average old book. And the kid takes it, he puts it on his nightstand, and he thought, well, I'll get around to reading that at some point. Well, as the summer continues to go on, the, the kid keeps thinking, I wonder why Dad hasn't brought up yet about talking about the car. He said that we could talk about the car, but he just doesn't bring it up and all of a sudden weeks are turning into months and it gets to the very end of the summer and dad still hasn't brought up the car to the kid and so finally the kid again he gets up enough courage and he goes and he says dad uh beginning of the summer i said to you about maybe us talking about you and mom help me out with a car and you haven't brought it up and dad said you didn't read the book did you it's like no i didn't think it was really relevant i no i just put it on my nightstand dad's like go get the book so the kid goes to his room, he gets the book, dad says, turn to the next to the last page. And the kid turns to the next to the last page, and he's surprised because in the margin, the dad had handwritten a note that said, son, you and your, uh, my, your mother and I, we love you so much that we have bought you a brand new car. And I've got the keys to it in my pocket. All you need to do is come and ask me for those keys, and I'll tell you where we've been storing the car at. Now, here's a kid that all summer long could have had something, but he didn't have it because he didn't follow the very simple instructions that his father had given him. And as sad as what that story is, that kid only wasted a couple months. I think a lot of times in our lives, we end up wasting years of our lives. Why? Because we don't do the very simple thing that our Heavenly Father has instructed us to do. There's some very simple instructions that God says, do this and your life will be blessed. But yet we don't do it. And we end up wasting our life, as we heard in the song that began this morning. So I thought, you know, as we begin a brand new year here, 2014, let's talk about not just what's going to maximize your 2014, but let's talk about what does it mean to live a, a fulfilling and purposeful life? How do you make sure that you didn't waste your life? And so what I want to do to today as we begin the series is talk about how to make sure that you live a life that has no regrets. Because let's face it, some of us have regrets about the life that we've already lived, right? Don't, don't we all have some regrets about things we've done in the past? What I want to make sure that we do is going forward is making sure that we don't have any regrets anymore. So here's what you need to know. If you're taking notes there this morning, first thing on your outline is this, that living a life of no regrets begins when I understand that revelation equals responsibility. Again, revelation equals what? Responsibility. You say, Gover, what in the world do you mean by that? Well, what you need to understand is that God's revelation to us, and I'm not talking about the like New Testament book of Revelation. I'm talking about that, that God has some things he wants to reveal to us. There's two parts to that. Two parts to God's revelation. The first part of it is something that many of you are interested in. And that is, God, please reveal to me what you want me to do with my life. Right? You've asked God that, right? 
Well, what, what do you want me to do with this relationship that I'm in? Well, what do you want me to do about this person that hurt me? God, what do you want me to do with the money that you've given to me? God, what do you want me to do for a, a career, for a living? We've, we've asked those types of things, and there's nothing wrong with asking those types of questions. God, what do you want from me? But here's the second question that you need to ask yourself, and this is really the, the most important part of God revealing himself to you, and that is, God, reveal yourself to me. Who are you, God? What is your heart? What, what, what motivates you, God? What, what breaks your heart? God, what is it that, that you know, uh, really gets you excited? God, what are the things that, that make you sad? You see, you, you need to start asking yourself those types of questions of, of, God, who are you? Reveal yourself to me, because here's the point that I want to make. You will never do what God wants you to do until you're fully bought into who God is. Let me say that again. You will never do what it is that God is calling you to do. Those, you know, God, reveal what you want me to do. You'll never do that stuff until you're fully bought into who God is. Here's another way to say it. I put it there on your outline. That submission to God's desires comes only after recognition of who God is. You'll only submit to what God wants you to do after you recognize who he is. Once you fully realize how much he loves you and how much he wants the best for you, it's only then that you'll become fully obedient to his commands. See, this is why a lot of you, when you hear me say something on Sunday morning or you read something in the Bible for yourself or somebody else challenges you on something that God's word says, that you, you, you push back on it and you're like, oh, well, I, I, that's just too difficult. I, I couldn't do that. Or, wow, if that's what God's, you know, if that's what God wants for me, then man, God's just a mean God. He doesn't want me to have any fun. Or if that's what God wants me to do, then Man, I'm just going to find another God to serve. And that's why so many of you struggle in, in following God's uh, rules and God's commands and God's laws is because you haven't gotten fully bought into who God is. See, once you know who he is, that he loves you and he cares for you and he wants only the absolute best for you. When you understand that, then you're like, oh, well, he's saying this because he has my best intentions at heart. And he's telling me to do this or not to do this because he loves me and he doesn't want to see me be hurt. But until you understand who God is and are bought into that, man, God's laws and his rules are going to seem very cumbersome to you. It's going to seem like a weight. It's going to seem like a burden. So again, submission to God's desires comes only after recognition of who God is. Jesus actually uh, talks about this. And see, what Jesus is going to do in this story we're about to look at it is he's going to give some, some next steps. And my first point that I made to you this morning is that revelation equals responsibility. You see, once God has revealed who he is to you and, and what he wants for you to do, and you're fully bought into all that, once you know what God is asking you to do, that means there's a next step for you to take. And see, that's where you become responsible. You're responsible to take the next step. God isn't going to force you to do it. You still have free will. You still have free choice. So revelation equals responsibility. 
And so again, Jesus is going to tell this wonderful story that illustrates it. It's found in Matthew chapter 25. We're going to begin in verse 14 if you want to turn in your Bible and follow along with us. First, let me give you a little bit of context, though, before we look at uh, God's Word today. In Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25, Jesus is talking about the end times. All of us want to know about the end times, right? What's going to happen at the, the very end? And so Jesus is actually, he's gone to what's called the Mount of Olives, and he's climbed up onto the mountain. He's actually preaching a, a sermon to a crowd. This is called his Olivet Discourse, if you want to get technical with it. He's, he's preaching this message on the end times. Chapter 24, he's talking about just some of the general things that will happen at the end. Then in chapter 25, he starts to tell some stories that helps to illustrate what he just said. We call these things parables, but they're basically stories. And the parable we're going to look at today in chapter 25 here is one that, if you've been around church at all, you've probably heard of this one before. It's one of his most famous parables. It's called the Parable of the Talents. How many of you heard that? Parable of the Talents, right? Okay, that's what we're going to look at here today. That Jesus, again, he's telling this parable because he's talking about the end times. And so, again, if you've got a Bible, Matthew 25, we'll begin in verse 14. Jesus says, again, it will be. Now, what does it mean? What's he talking about? The end times, right? So he says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now, the, the first thing that I want you to notice here is that whose money is it? Is it the servant's money, or is it the master's money that he entrusted to the servants? Whose money? It's the master's money. He's giving them his stuff and saying, here, I'm entrusting you with this. In other words, he's blessing his servants. The full intention, the, the full heart of the master is to, to be a blessing to the people that are around him. And see, we need to understand that same thing for our lives. That God's heart is he wants to bless you. But we also have to realize that it's all his stuff. We don't own anything. It's not your money. It's not your house. It's not your car. It's not your clothes. It's nothing. You don't own anything. It's all God's. You only have it because he's entrusted it to you. He's blessed you with it. See, what we need to realize is that we're all blessed. Every single one of us. I don't care if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus or not. You are blessed. You know, there's really two types of blessings. There's what's called general blessings, and, and we all get these. How many of you woke up this morning in a bed? See, raise a hand. You woke up this morning in a bed. I'm not going to ask how many of you had to sleep on the sofa. But anyway, okay. Uh, you woke up in a bed. Guess what? You're blessed. There's a lot of people around the world that they don't wake up in a bed each and every day. You are very, very blessed. How many of you woke up this morning and you had heat in your house? In this cold weather, you're really blessed. I found the weather forecast funny. They're saying it's supposed to get cold this upcoming week. Did you see that? Yeah, it's supposed to get cold. It's like, well, what do you call this? It's pretty cold out there, but it's going to get even colder. You're blessed because you have heat. How many of you walked to your closet this morning and you had more than one choice of outfits to wear to church today? You're blessed. You're blessed. How many of you went to the refrigerator and you had things in your refrigerator? Of course you did. It just snowed. You have at least milk and bread and eggs. <laughs> You're blessed. 
You're blessed. See, we've got all this stuff. If you drove here in the car this morning, I don't care what the make or the model of it is. I don't care how old it is, how run down it may be. You're blessed. If you have ears to hear this morning, you are blessed. If you have eyes to look up here and see, you are blessed. Now, you're looking at me. That isn't not such a blessing, but all right, you're, you're still blessed, though. Your eyes are working. If you're like me, and yesterday Lisa made chocolate chip cookies. If you can smell chocolate chip cookies freshly baked, you're blessed. If you have a wife that bakes you chocolate chip cookies, you're blessed. If you have a mouth that can taste the ooey gooey goodness of those chocolate chip cookies, you're blessed. See, so many times we look at life and we look at only the things that are wrong. You ever notice that in churches that most prayer requests are about things that are wrong? You ever notice that? Oh, well, pray for my ingrown toenail, you know, and pray for my Aunt Mabel's postman's cousin's father's dad who, you know, has to have a hip, you know, replacement, you know. And and, and it's okay to pray about those things, but we only usually think about the things that are wrong. Every day we need to look and say, God, look, look how blessed I am, and it's all because you did it. And see, again, these are general blessings. These are, are blessings that doesn't matter if you're a follower of God or not that you get. Now, there's then what's called specific blessings. And these are, are blessings that are different according to different people. Look at our story here today. One got five bags of gold. Somebody got two bags of gold. Another guy only got one bag of gold. They each got blessed differently. Now you're going, that's not fair. Why didn't God bless them all the same way? You know, one got five and one got two. That's not fair. Wah, wah, wah. You know why you think it's not fair? It's because you live in America. Especially the last 10, 15 years, that's, you know, everybody's got to be treated equal. Every kid on the team gets a trophy because it wouldn't be fair if they didn't. Listen to me. God is a good God, but God is not a fair God. Nothing that says that he's fair. He treats everybody a little bit different. Notice the story here. They each got blessed in a different way. Why did they get blessed in a different way? What's it say? It says they got blessed according to their ability. They got blessed according to their ability. I want you to think of the story this way. Instead of bags of gold, think of this. To one guy, the master gave $5 million. To another, the master gave $2 million. To the last one, he gave $1 million. Now put yourself in the shoes of the guy that got only $1 million. Are you really going, that's not fair. He got two and he got five. You only gave me $1 million. No, you're going, whoo! <laughs> I didn't have a million dollars yesterday. Today I do have a million dollars. I'm blessed. Wow, life is good. Life is good. He gave according to their ability. You know why he gave the one guy only $1 million? Because he didn't have the ability to handle $5 million. He didn't have the ability to handle $2 million. Remember, God will only give you what is absolutely best for you. And so what happens here is, he gives to the one guy one million. Why? Because 
he had one million ability. To another guy, he gave two million. Why? Because he had two million ability. He gave another five million. Why? Because he had five million ability. And God will do the exact same thing for you. It may not be millions. He may bless you in many other ways. But he gives according to your ability, and it's not going to be fair. He's going to give to each according to the ability that they have. Verses 16 and 17 then. It says, the man who received five bags of gold went out at once. If you actually have your Bible open, you may want to circle that there, at once. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. Now I want you to notice here that immediately, as soon as they received their blessing, they go out and they take a next step. They do something with it at once. They didn't stop to count it. They didn't stop to update Facebook and Twitter. They didn't stop to, you know, brag to their friends about, look at all this that I just got. No, they went at once and put the money to work so that five became ten and two became four. And see, we need to do the exact same thing in our lives. We need to have that kind of urgency any time that we're given a next step from God. At once. Here's the problem. This is America. We've gotten lazy. Many people don't have that at once type of attitude, do they? We tend to procrastinate as Americans, don't we? Keep putting things off, putting things off, putting things off. Jake, college, yeah, we were talking about that the other night, right? Yeah. Fill those things out, man. All right. We, we, keep, putting them, we keep putting things off. That's just who we are, except for one area of life. You know what it is? Text messaging. You're standing there, all of a sudden you feel that little vibration in your pocket, and your hand is in your pocket so fast, and you got that phone out, and you're like, oh. <laughs> oh, actually, I just got a text message. Thanks, guys. Um, you know, and, and you're checking that thing. I mean, it's amazing what, what we do. <laughs> I mean... Guy could be on his knee proposing, honey, I, I love you and I want to spend the, oh, wait a second, uh, just went off, I got to check this. Right, I mean, think, think about it. You know what I'm talking about. You're with family, you're with friends, and you're basically saying, you know what, I, I, I love you so much, I wanted to spend some time with you here. But then you feel that, that vibration in your pocket. And it's like crack to some of you. You've just got to have it. And think about what you're saying. You may not be saying it out loud, but what you're communicating to your family and your friends when you're with them there is that, look, our conversation that we're having right now is really, really important, but something just happened on my phone that I don't know this for sure, but it may be more important than you. So I'm going to reach into my pocket pull it out and check it right in front of you and respond to it. You see this all the time. If you didn't make any other New Year's resolutions this year, at least make this one. That when you're with people, put the phone away. They're the most important thing at the time, not what's on the screen. But here's what I wanted to, the, the point I wanted to make was this. And that same urgency that you reach in your pocket and pull out that phone that, oh, I've got to look at it and respond to it right now. Anytime God gives you a next step, 
have that same kind of urgency. That, oh, God has given me a next step. I'm going to drop everything else to respond to it right now. At once. That's what these guys do. At once they went and put the money to work. But not the third guy. Verse 18. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now think about this for a second. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Again, you just got $1 million. Pretend you just got $1 million. Is the very next thought in your mind, well, guess it's time to go out and dig a hole and bury it in the ground. (laughs) No. No. But yet that's exactly what this guy does. He goes and he buries it. What a wasted opportunity. You know, my fear here this morning is that even though many of you just said, yeah, that was a stupid thing that he did to go bury it, my fear is many of you are doing the same thing in your life. Not with money. You're not burying money in the ground. But God has blessed you maybe with money, but he's blessed you in many ways. He's given you gifts and skills and talents and abilities. He's given you resources, financial and otherwise, that many times we waste all of it that God has given to us. We've basically buried our talents in the ground and we're not using it. We think that, well, God couldn't use somebody like me, so I'm just going to sort of push that off to the side and sort of coast through life. But that's wasting your life. You know, that'd be one thing if you were just wasting your life. But here's the real kicker of the story. Look at verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and he settled accounts with them. In other words, they were held responsible, they were held accountable for the gifts and the skills and the talents and the abilities that they were given. In this case, they were held responsible for the money that they had been given. What you need to realize about your life is that this life is not it. You are going to live eternally somewhere, and at the moment of death, you will be held accountable. Scripture actually gives us two different areas in which we'll be held accountable. The first is this, first question. What did you do with sin in your life? That's the first question God's going to ask you. What did you do with sin in your life? Even if you're here today and you're not a believer in in Jesus and the Bible and all that kind of stuff, I think you would at least admit that you haven't been perfect, that you've messed up, right? Anybody going to make the claim of being perfect this morning? No one, right? All right. When you're not perfect, the Bible just simply says that that's what's called sin, And so God's going to say to you, what did you do with sin in your life? Did you just sort of pretend like it didn't exist, try to sweep it all under the rug? Did you try to be a really good person thinking, well, as long as I do more good than bad, the good will outweigh the bad, and then God should let me into heaven because, well, yeah, God, I only messed up 70,000 times, but look, I did 90,000 good things. So, you know, just sort of look the other way at that 70,000 bad things. Is that your plan? Is your plan to compare yourself to others? You know, to, to look at someone and say, well, yeah, God, I haven't been perfect, but I mean, look at that guy there. I mean, uh, Mike, I'm not pointing at you. I was deliberately going over that. You know, you know look, look at that guy there. Look at him. I mean, as compared to him, I'm pretty good. You should let me into heaven. Is that your plan? Or is your plan the only acceptable one? And that is that, Jesus, I don't deserve heaven. 
It's only because you loved me enough to come and, and live on the earth and live a perfect and sinless life and die on the cross shedding your blood that I can be forgiven. So that's the first thing. What are you going to do with sin? Here's the second question. What did you do with the blessings that I gave you? What did you do with the gifts and the skills, the talents, the abilities, the money that I entrusted to you, the house that I entrusted to you, the car that I entrusted to you, all the things that I entrusted to you? God's going to say, what did you do with my stuff? Did you use it so that it could be multiplied or did you just go and bury it in the ground? It's pretty serious stuff. You see that that first question, what did you do with sin? That will determine where you spend eternity, either eternally present with God in heaven or eternally separated from God in a very real place called hell. The second question then determines the amount of reward that you'll get in heaven or the amount of suffering that you'll have in hell. See, what you do with this life does matter. How you spend your days matters. How you spend your time matters. How you spend God's money matters because you're going to be held accountable for it. Verses 20 to 23. Remember, the master has come to, to hold him accountable. It says, The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, You entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will now put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, You entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Now notice that the master said, well done. Not well believed. Not well intended. You know, well, you had good intentions. No, he says, well done. You did something. I gave you a next step and you took it. You, you did it. Well done. And notice what he says to him at the very end. He says, come and share in your master's happiness. Really, when it boils down to everything, what God wants with you is a relationship and a relationship that is forever in heaven where you can share in his happiness. That's what God wants. He wants you to share in his happiness. But yet we don't see God that way many times, do we? Well, we think God's like this big buzzkill in the sky that God doesn't want me to have any fun. You know, God's a killjoy. And, and what ends up happening is because we think that following God's rules and following God's commands, that that's not going to make me happy because we don't understand who God is. We seek happiness elsewhere. We start to look to people. We start to look to things to make us happy. But listen to me carefully here this morning. No one on this earth and nothing on this earth will make you happy. At least not eternally. Oh, sure, your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your kids or your house or your car, whatever. It'll make you happy temporarily, but not eternally. And see, you were created for eternal happiness with God. But what ends up happening so many times is we sabotage that happiness because we're seeking after and pursuing after happiness right here, right now, in this very moment. I've got to have it now. And so, again, we, we've sabotaged God's plan. 
He wants us to be eternally happy. But yet, because we don't know who God is, we seek after other things. And it ends up getting us in a lot of trouble. Verses 24 and 25. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Basically, this guy wasted the blessing that was given to him, or in the context of the series, he had wasted his life. And I'm sure after we see the end of the story here, this guy had a lot of regrets. And so what I want for you today is this. I want you to be more like the first two guys in the story than like the last guy in the story. But here's the deal. By default, because of our sinful nature, we just sort of automatically drift into being more like the third guy in the story. We end up wasting our life. Why, why do we waste our life? Well, there's three reasons I, I want to talk about here today. Real quickly, we're going to go through these. Three reasons that people live a life of regret. Number one, procrastination. Procrastination. Let me give you a good example of this one. You know, you look down and you're like, whoa, uh, I could probably stand and lose a few pounds. And so you, you're like, I'm going to start a diet. Yeah, that's what I'm going to, I'm going to start a diet. And then you're thinking about it and you're like, but, you know, today's Wednesday. Nobody starts a diet on a Wednesday. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. It's Wednesday. You don't start diets on Wednesday. You start diets on Monday. And so you wait until Monday, and Monday rolls around, and you're like, you know, this is like the middle of November, and Thanksgiving's coming up, and then, you know, Christmas is coming up, and there's the turkey and the stuffing and the mashed potatoes and the, the Christmas cookies and the fruitcake and all the sweets of Christmas and stuff. Nobody starts a diet in the middle of November. I'm going to wait until January. And so you waited till January, just a couple days ago. January 1st was on a Wednesday. Nobody starts a diet on a Wednesday. I'm going to wait till Monday. And see, we, we just keep doing that. We, we keep thinking that I'll get around to it eventually. But all of a sudden, weeks become months and months become years and years become decades. And all of a sudden, you look back on your life and you've lived a life of regret. Because you didn't capitalize and do it right now. Remember we talked about that earlier. The first two guys, what's the lesson from them? They went out and immediately put that money to work. They immediately took the next step that God had given them to take. And here's the deal this morning. I believe that all of you are pretty smart. I believe that you don't need to walk outside today and have like a big billboard in the sky that God gives you your next step you're supposed to take. I don't think we need to like have it flash on the screen for you. I think you're smart enough that you already know the next step that God's calling you to take. Don't you? There's something that God has been talking to you about that he wants you to do. That you keep putting off, and you keep putting off, and you keep putting off, you keep putting off. You've been procrastinating. You know your next step. Maybe it's to become a follower of Jesus. Maybe it's to join a life group. Maybe it's to start reading your, your Bible every day. Maybe it's to begin tithing. Maybe it's to have a, a tough conversation with somebody. Maybe it's to start doing something that you're supposed to be doing, or stop doing something you know you shouldn't be doing. Maybe, you know, it's to, to go and finally reconcile a relationship with someone, uh, to get your relationship in, in a proper place. I don't know what it is, but... You know the next step. You know the right thing to do. But you just haven't been doing it. 
you've been procrastinating. But I've said this before, and I'll say it over and over and over and over again. I put it there on your outline, simply this. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. If God is calling you to do something, he doesn't mean like two years from now. He means to do it now. Do it right now. And so again, I know that you're sitting here this morning and you know that there is a next step that you're supposed to be taking that you've been putting off. What is it? Do it now. Do it right now. You think, well, Gilbert, I'm waiting for the perfect time. There is no perfect time. Do it right now. Now, why why do we keep procrastinating? Why don't we obey God? Well, I think it has something to do with what we talked about earlier, and it's the second point that I want to make to you. And it's that we have a misunderstanding of who God is. My cousin Brittany, she's, I don't know, 10, 15 years younger than I am. She just recently uh, got married, and Lisa and I went to the wedding. It was down in uh, Baltimore, and uh, the reception was there in the Inner Harbor. It was a really nice reception hall, and had an outdoor patio, and, you know, overlooking the harbor and everything. Really, really nice. And Lisa and I got sat at a table with her new husband, Alex's friends from high school and college and stuff. And so they were much younger than us, but Lisa and I, we hit it off with them. We're having these, you know, great conversation. And the girl that was sitting next to me, she's actually a spiritual advisor at a college up in Maine. And so we had a, a great conversation about various things like that. Well, as the reception continues on and they have the cake and the garter and, you know, doing all the things that they do. And then, you know, people started to dance and then people started to mingle out onto the patio area as well. So and people were just all spread out. Well, when it came time for Lisa and I to leave, we thought, you know, I want to go around and say goodbye to all these people that we had just met. And so I find this girl that I've been sitting next to talking to and I started talking to her and she's looking at me in the strangest way. And I'm recounting some of the things that we talked about. And she's just like looking at me like, I have no clue what you're talking about. And I'm like, what in the world is happening here? And finally the girl says, I think you were talking to my twin sister. (laughs) Now Lisa was laughing at me because she was a little bit behind, so she wasn't there to stop me and say, no, that's the wrong person. She was laughing at me later. She's like, didn't you notice it was a different dress? It was a different hairstyle? I'm like, no. But I I think what we do in life is the same thing I did in that situation. We think we know who we're talking to, but yet we don't. And all of a sudden we start to say things and do things that are pretty stupid. I mean, it was stupid having this conversation with this girl when she had no idea what I was talking about. And I think we do that with God. We think we know who God is, but yet we have a complete misunderstanding of who he is, and it leads us to doing stupid things, saying stupid things, doing things that are outside of God's will. And we end up living a life that's full of regret. See, I think one of the the tricks that Satan does is this. The scripture actually says it this way, that Satan masquerades himself as an angel of light. He's not a guy in a red suit with, you know, the horns and the pitchfork and all that kind of stuff. He actually masquerades himself as something that's good. And what he does is he makes himself and and the things that he's trying to deceive us with just close enough to the real thing that it's not. You know, I, I used to drink like eight Mountain Dews a day. 
I mean, it was ridiculous. Yeah, Bruce was like, wow! <laughs> yeah. But did you ever have mountain lion? <laughs> it's like a Mountain Dew, like, you know, substitute. And it's just close enough to Mountain Dew, but it's not really Mountain Dew. And see, Satan does the same thing. He, he comes and he, he says, okay, what are the good things that God wants people to do? And I'm going to pervert that just enough that people will get caught up in it and start living the wrong way. Basically, the girl I was sitting next to is God, and her twin was the evil twin. I hope they're not listening to this message. But anyway, you end up having these conversations and doing things and acting in ways because you think that it's the right thing, but it turns out it's really not. And that's what happens to the guy here in the story, the, the guy that got the one million or the one bag of gold. Look at what he says to the master. He says in verse 24, I know that you're a hard man. You're, you're difficult to please. Now, in the story that Jesus told here, is that who the master was? No. What do we know about the master? We know that the master was very giving. He entrusted a lot of his, his blessings. You know, he wanted to bless. He has a, has a heart to bless. He's good. We, we didn't read any about you're a hard man, you're a difficult man. No, he's a good man. But yet, again, when we don't really know who God is, when we misunderstand his character, we under, misunderstand his heart, his nature, we start to say and, and do weird things. So, question this morning then is this. If we have a misunderstanding of, of God, then who is God? Well, that I could preach that as the sermon every single week for the rest of my life, and we still wouldn't even scratch the surface of who God is. Did you know that there are some angels that their only job is they're worshiping angels? That they just constantly worship God the Father and that they cry out, holy, holy, holy. And what you need to realize about those particular angels is this, that every moment, every second, every day, every year for all of eternity, a new facet of who God is is being revealed to them and the only thing they can do is cry out, you're holy. That's how big our God is. That's how indescribable our God is. That every second of every moment of every day for all of eternity, a new facet of his glory is being revealed. So, again, he, he's indescribable. But if we did want to try to describe him, I think we'd have to, to look to Jesus. And did you know that 175 times in Scripture, Jesus refers to God as Father? Now, the original Hebrew word for that is Abba. And in many English translations, it's translated as Father. But really, as you look at it, our, our better translation for it would be Daddy. That he calls him Daddy. You know, there's a big difference between a father and a daddy, isn't there? Every single one of us has a father. And see, I think many times we even, when we think of God as Father, we just project onto God how our earthly father treated us. So if you were neglected by your earthly father or mistreated, abused, abandoned, you just think, well, that's what God will eventually do to me. But he's more than Father. He's Daddy. He's your Daddy God. 
And I've been very, very fortunate in my life that my father, many of you know him, I, I know him as daddy. I know him as, as dad. That's a, a term of endearment. Father's more of a, a title. Daddy is something that, that you know, you, you use because, wow, this man loves me. And my dad, he, he would admit to you that he wasn't a perfect dad, that he made mistakes. But yet he, he was awesome as a father. He was awesome as a dad. But what you need to realize about God is this. He's the perfect daddy. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never abandon you. He will never mistreat you. He only has your best interests at heart. Like a good dad, he loves you. He wants to protect you. He wants only what's best for you. That's who God is. Daddy God. You know, parents... uh, if your little three-year-old or something was like, you know what would make me really happy? I'm going to go play in the middle of Interstate 81. What would you say? No. <laughs> no, you can't go play in the middle of the interstate. And they're like, but that would make me happy. I don't care if it will make you happy. No, you're not playing. Well, you don't love me then. Yes, it's because I do love you that I'm giving you this rule, that I'm putting some boundaries on you. See, that's how God is for us. When he tells you to do something or not to do something, it's not because he doesn't love you. It's because he does love you. Just like you as a parent love your kids and and you put some boundaries around them. Because of your great love. Because you want to protect them and, and keep them from harm. And so when you truly start to recognize who God is, how much he loves you, when that's been revealed to you, then it becomes easy to obey his commands. You'll submit to him once you recognize who he truly is. Here's the third reason then that many times we live a life of regret. Number three is fear. Fear. Verse 25, when the man doesn't recognize his master, he says, you know what? I was afraid, so I went and I buried it. And again, I, I think many of you are afraid. The reason you're not taking your next step is because you're afraid. You're afraid of what other people might think about you. You're afraid of what other people may say about you. But I want you to think about this. How sad would it be to get to the very end of your life and realize that you didn't live the life that you wanted to live because you lived the life that somebody else wanted you to live? You know, there's some of you here, you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, maybe even in your 60s, and you're still trying to win the approval of your parents. Some of you are living for the approval of your friends and your family members. You've got to stop doing that. The only person whose approval you need in this life is God's. So stop living for the approval of others. Live for His approval. Don't live in fear any longer. Take the next step that God is calling you to take, or you'll live a life of regret. That's what happens to the man in the story as we wrap up. Verses 26 to 30. It says, His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with bankers so that when I returned, I would at least receive it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. 
Whoever does not have, even though they have, it will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Obviously, this one bag, one million dollar guy, he ended up regretting the decisions that he made. That he didn't take his next step immediately. And so three questions for you here this morning. What are you doing about the sin that's in your life? Number two, what are you doing about the ways that God has blessed you with gifts, skills, talents, abilities, financial resources, other types of resources? What are you doing with that? Because you will be held accountable with it. And number three, as a result of your answer to those two questions, what is the next step that God is calling you to take today? My prayer is that you'll take it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for a new year to gather together to worship you and to honor you through singing, through uh, the the preaching and teaching of your word, through just gathering together with uh, fellow like-minded people, uh, through the giving that we're about to do. God, you have blessed us in in so many ways. And so, Lord, my, my first prayer this morning would be this, that each and every day we would find ways to thank you for the ways that we're blessed. Help us to keep that type of perspective. God, my second prayer would be that you would just continue to reveal more and more and more of yourself to each and every one of us, of who you are, how much you love us, how much you care for us, how much you want us to share in your happiness. And so, Lord, if there's been areas of our lives that maybe we've, we've struggled because we've put an image onto you that just isn't accurate, help us just to get rid of that image today and recognize who you are, that you are Daddy God and you love us with an everlasting love. Lord, I I pray then that as you're revealing maybe some next steps, that we wouldn't procrastinate, that we would do it right now, right now, because we know that delayed obedience is disobedience, and God, none of us wants to sin against you. So help us to be obedient this morning to the voice of your Spirit as you lead us. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't yet have a relationship with you, that, Lord, just right there in their seat, they would ask for your forgiveness. They would ask for your leadership. And, God, we know that your word says that if we confess our sins to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. That you'll take our sins and you'll separate them as far as the east is from the west. That if we have prayed that prayer, we are a new creature. That the old is gone and the new has come. Lord, for some people, that was their next step that they needed to take today. Thank you that they took it. Lord, again, uh, there's many, many other next steps that people may need to take. I just pray that we would be obedient, that we would see you as a a loving father, and that, Lord, just like uh, us as earthly parents, we hate it when our kids say, I'll do it later, or give excuses of why they can't do it now. God, help us to see that you're the same way that you've put boundaries around us because you love us. And that when you ask us to do something, you want it to be done right now. No excuses. No complaints. No stalling. Right now. So God, help us to be obedient, not just here in 2014, but for the rest of our lives. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.